And let's stand together, sing number 624. What a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. I have light in my soul for which long I have sought since Jesus came into my heart. Since Jesus came into my heart, since Jesus came into my heart, floods of joy o'er my soul like the sea billows roll. Since Jesus came into my heart, I'm possessed of a hope that has stood fast and sure since Jesus came into my heart. And no dark clouds of death now my pathway obscure since Jesus came into my heart. Since Jesus came into my heart, since Jesus came into my heart, floods of joy o'er my soul like the sea billows roll. Since Jesus came into my heart, I shall go, I shall go there to dwell in that city since Jesus came into my heart. And I'm happy, so happy as on since Jesus came into my heart. Since Jesus came into my heart, since Jesus came into my heart, floods of joy o'er my soul, sea billows roll. Since Jesus came into my heart. All right, shake hands with two people you haven't talked to tonight. And as you return to your seat, turn to number 517. Number 517, day by day. Number 517. Day by day and with each passing moment, Strength I find to meet my trials here. Trusting in my Father's wise bestowment, I've no cause for worry or for fear. He whose heart is kind beyond all measure gives me to each day what he deems best. Livingly is the pain and pleasure, mingling toil with peace and rest. Every day the Lord himself is near me with a special mercy for each hour. All my cares he fain would lay he whose name is Counselor and Power, 
the protection of child and treasure is a charge that himself he laid as I days I string this a pledge to me he made help me then in every tribulation so to trust thy promises, O Lord, that I lose not faith, sweet consolation, offered me within thy holy word. Help me, Lord, with toil and trouble meeting, ere to take as from a father's hand. One by one, in days, till I reach the promised land. That was it. There's three of them on that one. <laughs> uh, number 280. Number 280. Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed how I love to proclaim it, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, redeemed through His infinite mercy, His child and forever I am. Redeemed, redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, redeemed, redeemed, His child and forever I am. Redeemed and so happy in Jesus, no language my rapture can tell. I know that the light of his presence with me doth continually dwell. Redeemed, redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed, redeemed, his child and forever. All right, let's stand together and sing the last verse, and ushers, you come as we sing. I know I shall see in his beauty the king in whose light he lied, who lovingly guardeth my footsteps and giveth me songs in the night. Redeemed, redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed, redeemed. His child and forever. Let's sing that chorus one more time. Redeemed, redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed, redeemed, His child and forever I am. We had to add a little because we couldn't find the offering place. So. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's pray together. Father, thank you tonight for the blessing of serving you, of being together in your house. We thank you for Pastor Daniel and the word he's going to bring to us, and we pray that you'll be with this time of offering now, and uh, bless the offering as we give it, that it will be multiplied around the world to share the gospel with others. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
We have a video here. With the rain not stopping for days and days. There was a lot of terror in the city. And to hear that people were losing their lives, and people couldn't get out, couldn't be rescued, it just brought a lot of fear to so many people. Woohoo! The church! <laughs> what are you hiding from me, man? Uh-huh. Be with you, you know, okay? What's up? Thank you all for being with us here. It was through all that that we knew that, that God was going to use people that are willing. We realized that we had to do something. We had an opportunity to take our, our gym and it's now our warehouse. So this is a place just filled with supplies. Our gymnasium is a place of distribution. It's a place of hope where people can come and receive to continue to do the Harvey recovery that we need here in Houston. But not just our gymnasium, but our, our kitchens, our, our, our Sunday school rooms. Uh, to this point, eight months later, we're still hosting teams from all over the nation. Scripture says it's better to give than to receive. And what you're seeing here visibly is our faith. Our faith is now tangible. So the feeling is just amazing, it's unbelievable. It's literally a miracle here for this community. We are in East Houston. In this community of trailer parks, it's a lot of tragedy took place. Water got so high here that it literally covered entire trailer homes all the way to the roof. And the ones that are here still are trying to rebuild here. The gospel has impact when you are in the lives of people and you go behind their doors and you sit down. You know, with people that have nothing, I believe that if Jesus was right here with us, that he would be exactly there with the people. I'll never forget the day that we went to a shopping center in an area where uh, not too far from the people had drowned. A young lady just steps out of the line. Her name is Jasmine. A couple of times we had to go and stand in line for donations and I kept telling my mom, I don't want to be here. And I was like, well, I mean, maybe there's other people that have it worse than us. You know, we don't need it. I don't like begging because I feel like we can do it on our own. And she's like, we can't. We need help. She just embraces me and she falls on me, she starts to cry. I didn't expect someone to actually care so much for our neighborhood. Pastor Jaime, he didn't care where you came from, where you live. You know, I'm going to be there for you, I'm going to help you no matter what. Since then, Jasmine and her whole family has been coming to our church. The reason that they come, they said, is because they feel a sense of love and a realness in us. And they wanted to see what church was like that. I did get more than just bottled water. I got friendship, I got more hope in that there's better things to come. We've been given the biggest evangelistic platform that I believe that we've ever seen in my lifetime. I think serving should be every Christian's highest calling, but until we put action behind that, you know, then it becomes real. Mission Board in Relief. That was from Houston. As you might remember, there was a great hurricane. I um, can't remember which one went through. That was a year ago, and it flooded Houston. And then we've had uh, Hurricane Florence last month. They hit 
um, uh, North North Carolina region. And then this past week, Hurricane Michael came through and uh, and hit right there at Mexico Beach, Florida. So what happens when these hurricanes come through? We're, we at Southern Baptist, we support through our North American Mission Board and through our KBC, um, it's disaster relief folks who go and right there with chainsaws are able to meet um, meet certain meet those physical needs. So it's, uh, uh, that was kind of a report of what what happened in Houston the past year. Or so um, hopefully you have a bulletin, or you brought it back for this morning, or you got one. If you don't have one, I actually encourage you to go. And, it's just like Wednesday night. You'll want to have your uh, this is what we call a sermon outline, I guess you could call it. And on the backs this morning was the three institutions God established. Hope you can remember the three. Tonight, if you flip it over to the other side, you need to have this because we're going to go through the, I'm going to give you seven reasons why bad things happen. That's tonight's sermon. You're going to see it right here. Bad things happen all around us, including, I mean, hurricanes is a perfect example um, we're going to go through them and see here. So you'll want to have your uh, bulletin there for your uh, teaching. Do you all like these? You know, I, I used to use these. I used these for 10 years straight, and then you just never. Some folks like them, some folks don't. The problem with these, and I want you all always, I tell this to Sunday night crowd, the pieces of paper, handouts, turn preachers into teachers. There's a difference between a teacher and a preacher. And what happens is when you have your information, it's feel like you're like in a college class and you have to sit there and say, point one, point two. It's like you're working your outline. You never want to turn into a teacher. But um, these can be helpful for following along, just filling in one word. It keeps you on your toes to make sure, hey, are you listening, uh, following along. So we'll, uh, we'll try this a few months. If you don't like it, let me know. We can go back to without them. Something like that. We always have on Wednesday night our teaching outline for that. Uh, with that, I have a special request here. I need a man to do something. He needs to dress up as Santa Claus. Let me explain what this is for. And I have to announce it now so I can start, shop, start shopping for someone. Phyllis Alexander, for this fall festival we're having out here in two weeks. It's actually two weeks from tonight. Outside here is her trunk. She's decorating her trunk as Christmas. And she has a Santa Claus suit. And she has everything you need to be Santa. But it's hard to find a man who wants to sit there for two hours and have every little three and four and five-year-old come and want to sit in your lap and start telling you what they want for Christmas and have Mama there take a picture and put it all over there. I mean, you're on every single, all over Facebook and everything with Santa Claus in her trunk. But uh, she's got all the stuff. She's got the entire costume, except she says you need to wear some black boots. Uh, she can uh, make you look like Santa Claus. If you are not doing anything that night, if you, you, know, if you have already resigned up your trunk, you can't, you can't swap over because we need to say you always need your trunk. But if you have nothing to do on Fall Festival and you like to sit in a chair and just watch children come around and get, sit in your lap and get your picture made, you have to have a big smile and be kind to everybody because I mean, it's just going to be parade one after another. Children are going to see Santa. Let me know uh, if you want to be Santa Claus for two hours. It'll be on it'll be two weeks from tonight from 5 to 7 p.m. You're going to be at Phyllis Alexander's trunk. She'll pass out the candy. You, you talk to children and listen to what little Johnny wants for, for Christmas. So that is, um, uh, that's, that's certainly a, a need that we have coming up. Next, next Sunday night, schedule. 
Next Sunday night, we have a special concert. We have a gentleman named David K. His last name starts with a K, and it's really hard to pronounce, so he just goes by K. On, uh, when he just says, call me David K. He is a flute. He is kind of like a flute evangelist. He does a show with a flute. He's a pro. It's going to be really unique. I think you'd really like it. I was uh, watching, listening to the gentleman, and uh, hearing for his story. So that's uh, the next, next, three, next two weeks. Next week, Sunday night, is the flute guy. He'll be here. And then in two weeks is Fall Festival. So Fall Festival will replace our evening worship service with that. Open your Bibles here. Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 17. We are going to look here at the seven reasons why bad things happen. The truth is, church, bad things are going to happen to us. Your children are going to disappoint you. Your children and grandchildren could be diagnosed with leukemia. You could all of a sudden find yourself, after being married for 25, 30, 40 years, next thing you know, you're divorced or you're widowed, and you're thinking, what on earth just happened? God, you're a great, good God. You've been so faithful all these years. Why is this happening to me? So we're going to answer that question. The Bible does give us the answer. So you want to pull your white piece of paper out, and we're going to follow along. So you, those are um, uh, the, the seven things we're going to follow. But we're going to read the first story here. There's three examples, three stories we're going to read here in the Scriptures. Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. Won't you follow along in your Bibles? At that time, now <clears throat> what this means is Jesus has been teaching about the end times. He's been talking, encouraging folks that at any, at any moment, Christ could come back. You don't know how to, you can tell the weather. You're good at seeing when a storm comes, but you don't know when the Messiah is standing in front of you teaching. So that's the context of this teaching. So this is what happens. At that time, some people came and reported to him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Now, What's going on here, what the story is in this, is apparently um, some people from Galilee, who that would have been the same area, community, that Jesus was from, Pilate there, who had Jesus executed, he took their blood and he mixed it with sacrifices, which would break the Mosaic law, which would be just completely unclean by uh, Jewish standards, which in many ways making a mockery of Jewish, uh, Jewish identity and the whole sacrificial system. So that's the problem with this. And then look what he says here. So, and, and this is interesting. This here, this first verse, I want you all to understand, this would be something barbaric. This would be offensive. This would be like for us today. Can you believe the President of the United States... Uh, burned an American flag in front on YouTube, in front of the whole world, and then started, uh, I don't know, throwing garbage on it, using the bathroom, just something horrible. I mean, just, just makes you sick to your stomach. You think, what? What did the president do? That's what Pilate did. Pilate here is... He's now mixing sacrifice. He's saying, I'll show you about the sacrifice. These Galileans died. Just throw their blood in there and we'll, uh, we'll just make a mockery of the sacrificial system. So we're going to try to figure out why would this occur 
and why did these Galileans die? Verse 2, so here we go. And he, so that, that's the question posed to Jesus. Verse 2, And Jesus responded to them, Do you think that these Galileans were more sinful than all the other Galileans because they suffered these things, meaning they, they destroyed and mocked their body? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as well. So I want you all to understand what happened. Something horrible happened to these Galileans. And the, Jesus is being proposed with a question saying, why did this bad thing, this unfortunate event, occur to these men, these Galileans? So it's, are they more sinful than other folks? And Jesus is saying, no, they're not. In fact, if you don't repent, you will all perish just like them. Like, Jesus is telling us, if we don't repent, we will perish. So what perish is Jesus talking about? Because we all know we die. We all know the word perish means has two meanings here. First perish is we pass away. Everyone's going to die unless Jesus comes back. Secondly, the other perish he's talking about in verse 3, or you will all perish as well, he's talking about going to hell. He's talking about an eternal perish. In verse 4, so here's the second example. So he's saying unless you repent, you're you're going to go to hell. Like, you know, it's, there's nothing, no, just it's bad of what happened to these Galileans, but it's not that they're more sinful. Verse 4, Or those 18 that the tower in Salome, that's a city not far from Jerusalem, fell on and killed them. It looks like it, it's just an accident. Do you think they were more sinful than all the other people who lived in Jerusalem? So what happened there? Right outside Jerusalem, this tower falls, and 18 people die. Could have been a construction accident, just, it was just a freak accident. Something happened, and 18 people died. I mean, that happens every day here in the United States. Accidents are going to happen. And Jesus is saying, because this accident happened to these people, it does not mean they're more sinful. Just because someone's diagnosed with cancer, or someone has an accident, or is in a car wreck, it doesn't mean... That, that they're any, any worse of a person than anyone else. Verse 5, No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as well. What Jesus is telling us here is he's answering the question, are tragic events punishment for sin? And the answer is no. He's saying, at any moment, and we're about to get into the first three uh, reasons here, what, we, what this uh, answers is at any moment a disaster can come upon you and I. And unless we are prepared to die, it can happen in the thief of the night. At any moment, we can pass away and be in the presence of Jesus Christ. Bad things, bad things do not indicate you are a more sinful or a more bad person. They don't. Number one. Pull out your white piece of paper. Death is the result. Why do we die? Death is the result of the fall. Back in Genesis 2.17, this is what Jesus said. We're actually going to look at this later on too. Look at this Bible verse. I'll read it to you. God puts them in Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. They're there and things are perfect. And he plants all these nice trees, great fruit, and then he also, 
in verse 9, he says, uh, The Lord God caused to grow out of the ground every tree pleasing in appearance and good for food, including the tree of life in the middle of the garden, as well as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So there's this one other tree. We've got the tree of life. If you eat from the tree of life, you live forever. When we get saved, when you accept Jesus in your heart, you are eating from the tree of life. But there's this other tree here that if you eat from it, you die. Verse, skip down to verse 17. Look what it says here. Verse 16 says, And the Lord God commanded the man, You're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For on the day you eat of it, you will certainly die. Did God know they were going to eat from that tree? Yes. Why did God put that tree there? That tree is there. And we're going to see that's the seventh point later on. That this tree forces us to choose God. By putting this tree there, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, He gives us one command. Do not eat from this tree. So Adam and Eve are in this garden, and they have one rule. You can do anything you want. You eat from any tree, you have a good time. Just don't eat from this tree. This one tree. That's all you have to do, and you'll be set for life. Do you realize in the Garden of Eden, there was no death, there was no pain, there was no suffering. So what's happened here, they have one rule. And we know they broke that rule. That's what happened in Genesis 3. So what happens, death is a result of the fall. We die because of what happened in Eden. Death was not God's original plan. So accidents occur because of sin. Accidents happen, suffering, pain, it's a result of our sinfulness. All of us are going to experience death. All of us are going to experience setbacks, disappointments, suffering, and hard times. It does not mean we're more sinful. It means that it reminds us we are in a sinful, fallen world. Number two, look on your little sheet there. Bad things, look at this. This is the dangerous thing about bad things. This is how the devil uses bad things. Bad things can prevent a relationship to Christ. Bad things, it can prevent a relationship to Christ. Why would a good God allow these evil things to happen? Folks ask that question all the time. Why, God? Why did this tragedy occur to this innocent young family, this child, this teenager? They hadn't done anything. And many times, frequently, the parents, grandparents, relatives are, are blaming God. And we have to remember our home, church, is not in this world. As great as earth is, as much as we love America, as much as we're proud to live here in Kentucky in our wonderful, wonderful state, this is not our home. We are citizens of not only of the United States, but we're also citizens of heaven. And which citizenship comes first? Our citizenship in heaven comes before us as American citizens. So what happens is we need to guard ourselves. And Lord, is there anything that I'm allowing? Because the fact that we live in a sinful, fallen world that's hindering my relationship or preventing my relationship with Christ. There are many folks here, and probably folks here tonight, that are blaming God for something. And the Lord is saying, this is how it is all over the world. This is the results 
of a fallen, sinful world. Bad things are going to happen. We are not promised an easy life. Only thing we're promised in Scripture is that we're going to die, and we also are promised that if we place our faith in Jesus, we're going to live for heaven. That's it. The Lord promises He'll take care of us, but it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. So we have to say, Lord, are things what's preventing me? Are bad things hindering me? Because what they're doing here in Luke chapter 13, they're trying to trip Jesus up, saying these people hear Jesus. These people that had this tower fall on them, these folks here who had their blood mixed with the sacrifices for Pilate, they were extra sinful, weren't they? They were super bad people. They were unclean. And Jesus is saying, listen, if you don't repent and believe in me, you are going to the same place a lost person goes to. That's the importance and the message of the gospel right there. Third point we see here on your sheet before we read the next section. The Lord allows disasters to communicate. This is what it communicates. If you have a disaster occurs, it communicates repent or perish. Jesus Christ is allowing bad things to happen. We are surrounded. This past week's disaster was in Mexico Beach, Florida. Next week, there'll be another disaster. And then, I mean, it will just go on and on and on. An earthquake, a flood, a bomb goes off, terrorist attack, whatever it's going to be, disaster's going to occur. Accidents happen. Humans make mistakes. And what, what, that, what the Bible's teaching us here is that, number one, we could die unexpectedly. We are not promised. The, the devil has fooled people into thinking they're not going to pass away. They're not going to perish. They've got all the years left on them. At any moment, we could, we're two heartbeats away from being with the Lord. And not only that, you have to also, there's an urgency not only to share the gospel, but respond to it. Do you know someone who doesn't know the Lord? Our next-door neighbors. Our next-door neighbors are from Nepal. We think they're Hindu, sort of. I, we don't quite understand. They speak a broken English. And um, we tried to invite them to church, and it's just hard to communicate. We've gone to their house before. They're spiritually lost. Great folks. The children are smart as a whip, so well-behaved. I mean, just good folks. But there's a brokenness for us. When the kids come home, they play with our children. I mean, just wonderful, wonderful folks. They're, they're, the, um, the, the couple who lives there, it's either hers or his dad, he lives there also, and um, he doesn't speak any English. <laughs> like, you can't, uh, I mean, he just... You know, he, he doesn't know English whatsoever. Well, it's not a burden for us to share the gospel. These folks are lost. They're Hindu, we think. And Jesus died for them. Jesus loves them. So one of the ways, and, there's a, and, and with, the chi, with our children, with the children play outside all the time, they're little kids, they come over our house, we play on a trampoline. And our hearts are broken for these little guys, and their parents, and their grandfather. And one of the ways we communicated the gospel with them is uh, Daniel Jr. and kids and I, we went to this, um, here at the church we had a Gideon banquet. Well, the Gideon banquet was passing out uh, Bibles in different languages. 
the little, had these little New Testaments. Well, we got a couple of them in the languages we didn't recognize. I don't even know what language people in Nepal speak. But we found some Bibles with different languages. I know they weren't Spanish. They were Bibles of different languages. And we got them. And the man, we literally put them on their porch. And they picked them up. Because we can't talk to them. So we just took, I got the kids and we just put them there. And the man picked them up. Now, he probably thought, where did this come from? And I, and I share this story because this is what, this is what lost Kentucky looks like. This is Lexington. We, try, we take every angle, every opportunity to share the good news. Because if these folks per- perish and they die, they do not know Jesus. They are not church tonight. They didn't go to church this morning. But we, we gave them some Bibles in foreign languages that we couldn't read, and we put them on their porch. So maybe, they're, they could, maybe that's their language. It's easy to laugh at that, but I'm going to tell you, the Lord uses those things. It's, I have no clue what language they speak in Nepal, or these guys, but they can certainly, Lord can certainly make sure that's a language they know. I share this because disasters communicate to us. Repent or hear, there's an urgency that we have to live. But I'm telling you, the problem with churches and Christians we haven't shed a tear over a lost soul in a long time. What I mean by that is when folks aren't getting saved, when our, we're not broken for our city and the lostness here in Lexington, when we're more concerned about football and basketball, that we've been fooled. The devil wins. The Jesus is telling us, Verse 5, I tell you, unless you repent, you will all perish. Meaning, there's a, there's a mission to accomplish. And that is leading people who do not know Jesus to the Lord. Everything we do at this church should be pointing people to Christ. Should be communicating the good. These boxes right here, you're going to fill this up with stuff. And you'll bring it back on Veterans Day. And we're going to take it to Porter Memorial Baptist Church. They're going to put it on an 18-wheeler at Porter Memorial Baptist Church. And they're going to haul it down to Boone, North Carolina, where the headquarters is of Samaritan's Purse. They're going to inspect it. They're going to put gospel tracts in each one. They're going to, whatever language, because they, they, they know where they're going or what areas of the world. So, obviously, some people don't speak English, so they'll put th- that language in there. They'll seal it up and say, that write the country on there. And they'll put on an airplane, and it's going to that country in their language. That is a way, that right there is a way of communicating the gospel. You and I might never know how our little shoebox is going to impact people. But there are folks who've gotten saved because of these. So frankly, Graham's given away 30 million of these things. Lots of folks get saved, and disciples are made because... Folks in America packed a shoebox and sent it overseas. That is a way of communicating. That is when, when Jesus is telling us, I tell you, unless you repent, you will perish as well. He's sounding the alarm saying, you need to be intentional in doing this. Think about your neighbors. My neighbors are from Nepal and they're lost. Are your neighbors saved? Do the people who live around you, who God has placed in your circle, folks you work with, Do they know Jesus? 
Do you have that? The morning Bible verse I read from Acts chapter 4. Remember when Peter and John were told, you can't speak in Jesus' name anymore. And they said, hey, I, you know, that's for you to decide whether or not you want us to speak in Jesus. But we are going to go. You can't stop us. The Lord compels us to sharing the good news. We can't be silent. The devil is silencing people through disasters, through distraction, and all of a sudden he's he's silencing them through this question as, why would a good God allow this to happen? The, the, the answer to that question is, we live in a fallen, sinful world. Bad things are going to happen. Pull out your Bible again. Luke chapter 13. We're going to read here the parable of the barren fig tree. Second, second section here. The barren fig tree. This is a parable that uh, we, we don't really study this parable a lot. We don't think of it, but it's one that Jesus gave, gave us. And he's telling us about a fig tree. In fact, most of us don't have fig trees. But it's one that, um, that we need to see the importance of this parable. Verse 5, verse 6. And he told them a parable. A man had a fig tree, and it was planted in his vineyard. He came looking for fruit on it and found none. So, you plant your fig tree, and you're ready for your big fruit. You're ready to grow your, um, your apples for your apple pie, and, and there's nothing. Verse 7, he told the vineyard worker, Listen, for three years I've come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and I haven't found any. I mean, this tree is taking up land. Three years, it's not produced anything. Cut it down. Why should I even waste the soil? It's just a waste. Is this really a fig tree? I want you all to understand, this is not about trees we're talking about. Jesus is talking about us. This, we're the fig tree. He's talking about the, the folks who've heard the gospel. Jesus Christ is saying, you've been a believer now for three years, you should be producing fruit, and you're not. Meaning, I, my son redeemed you, he saved you, and you're not doing anything. But look what happens here. Verse 8. But he replied to him, Sir, this is the vineyard worker talking, so... What's happening here, God, the owner, the Lord, he wants to cut it down. Understand, the vineyard owner who owns the soil and owns the tree is God. And he's sick of this three years, we're not getting any results. Like, why hold on to a stock? Why hold on to something that's not producing results? God's, God's wanting results from his people. He's results-driven. I'm evaluated weekly on results. You pick up your bulletin. We had 228 in Sunday school. Worship was 3 or 4. Our offering was 15,740. Every Sunday, people do that. You go somewhere and you constantly look, okay, what are the results? What's the evaluation? Well, here's the evaluation right here. The, the Lord's saying, three years I've got nothing from this guy, this tree. And look what the vineyard worker says here. Verse 8. But he replied to him, Sir, leave it in this year also until I dig around it and fertilize it. Perhaps, perhaps, 
it will produce fruit next year. But if not, you can cut it down. So this vineyard worker, who's the vineyard worker? It's Jesus. Jesus here is saying, hey, let's just, one more year. I'll fertilize it. We'll get a good-looking tree. And if it doesn't produce results by year four, then we'll cut it down. Well, the purpose of the parable of the barren fig tree, Jesus is saying, time is short. You're getting another year. God has a short leash. He expects, listen to this, He expects you and I to be doing His work. Jesus told that parable, we read it back a couple chapters ago on Sunday night. The workers are few, but the harvest is plentiful. Like you have this great harvest out there, but where are the workers? Church, He's talking to us. Are you a worker for the Lord? Do you view your life Am I the parable of this tree? Am I going to get cut down if I don't produce the results? God has an expectation for us to be sharing the gospel. And here's the thing about that. I want you all to know, as a church, guys, if we are out there sharing the good news, if we're telling other people about Jesus, there will be results. You will see folks saved. You will see fruit occur from that. Why? Because God's Word... now. Sometimes people reject it, but many times people respond. Our mission, our purpose, we are to be out there shaking the bushes, going the highways and the byways, highways and the hedges with that. Pull out your white piece of paper. Number four, look at this. Seven reasons why bad things happen. Number four, suffering is part of the Christian life. It's a reality for us. Romans 8.18 reminds us we're going to suffer. Paul suffered when he wrote that. We suffer, why? Because Jesus suffered. We identify with Him in suffering. Many of us here, we are blaming our suffering, but we need to see there's a greater purpose in our suffering. We're, we're, you, it's a struggle. It is not easy. It's not popular going around spreading the good news. Number five, bad things can never separate us from the love of God, the love of Christ. They can't. They cannot separate. We won't turn there, but this is illustrated and very clearly stated in Romans 8, 38 and 39. God's love is not dependent upon circumstances. Now, the parable of the fig tree here, it was cut down because it didn't produce results. That doesn't mean, that doesn't mean a believer who's, if you're saved, you're saved and sealed for eternity. But that doesn't mean you're going to be productive and fruitful on earth. God expects us as believers, number one, to be producing fruit. And secondly, secondly, church, for lost people, they only have so much time. They're a barren tree. Are they, God's asking, hey, one year, it's over. You're going to get cut, meaning you're going to be judged for your life. So bad things here, even though it's going to happen, it never separates us from God's love. God's love leads us to repentance. The barren fig tree was given one more year. Remember Hezekiah and the book of Isaiah? Hezekiah was diagnosed with a terminal disease, and he prayed to the Lord, God, please, please extend my life. And God gave him 15 more years. 
God answered his prayer. There's folks in our church that were given terrible diagnosis. Bill Leeds is one of them, just walking up. He was given a diagnosis of cancer. And you know he's now cancer-free. Our church prayed over him. Hezekiah received an extension. Sherry and I know someone we went, grew up with in Alabama. And this young lady, is probably, she's probably 41 years old or so. And just two months ago, she was diagnosed with cancer. She's our age. We met her at church. She was a friend. It's not that she did anything evil. She's not more sinful than anyone. What happens is, the Bible's telling us, suffering is part of our Christian life. All of us are going to suffer. But the good thing is, because of our suffering, that does not separate us from God. Last section in your Bibles here. Luke chapter 13, verse 10. This is the healing of the lady who was crippled for 18 years. Have you suffered for 18 years? Have you known of someone who has struggled year after year? Christ healed a lady who was like that. When other folks had written her off, Jesus Christ did not give up on her. Look at this. And he attributes the problem to the devil, to Satan. Look at this. Turn your Bibles. Luke 13, verse 10. As he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, this is occurring on the Sabbath, Jesus is teaching, a woman who had been disabled by a spirit for over 18 years was there. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. It's important, it says here, that her disability was from a spirit, an evil spirit. When Jesus saw her, he called out to her, Woman, you are free from your disability. Then he laid his hands on her, and instantly she was restored and began to glorify God. So this woman here, he's at church. This healing occurred at church. He calls out says, hey, ma'am, I'm sorry, but this is your day. Congratulations. He touched her. She stands up, and she starts praising the Lord. Great thing happened for her. But look what happens here. Verse 14. But the leader of the synagogue, because it's at church, became indignant because Jesus is healed on the Sabbath. He responded by telling the crowd, notice he didn't tell Jesus, Are there six days when work should be done? Therefore come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. The synagogue ruler said, Jesus, you're ruining our service. We're supposed to have a worship service here, and you're over here in the corner healing people. If you want to heal people, you need to do that on Monday through Saturday. Well, in Jesus' time, it would have been Saturday through Friday, because their Sabbath was on Saturday. You should go on Sunday through Friday and heal folks. But look what Jesus says here. Verse 15, so Jesus got in trouble. Verse 15, but the Lord answered him and said, Hypocrites, doesn't each one of you untie his ox or donkey from the, from the feeding trough on the Sabbath and lead it to the water? Meaning, on, on your Sabbath, don't you untie your animals? Satan has bound this woman, a daughter of Abraham, that means a Jewish lady, one of your ladies, one of your members here at the synagogue. For 18 years, 
Shouldn't she be untied from this bondage on the Sabbath day? Jesus just told these leaders, guys, all y'all do is treat your animals so well on the Sabbath. You untie them and you give them a break on Saturday. You let them roam free and do whatever they want. It's their day off. And this poor lady who's been bound by the devil, he called it out by this spirit for 18 years. Why can't she receive the same thing you give to your animals? After he had said these things, all the, his adversaries were humiliated. But the whole crowd was rejoicing over all the glorious things she was doing, he was doing there. Verse 6, or I'm sorry, point number 6. Satan can be responsible for bad things happening. Satan bound this woman in her disability for 18 years. There will be no disability or disappointment in heaven. Church, we take comfort in the fact that just because someone's disabled here, just someone, someone has been defeated here on earth, has received setbacks and hard times here on earth, doesn't mean that's going to be the case in heaven. Because it's not. We take hope and victory in heaven. Just because Satan won today doesn't mean and will not mean that he wins tomorrow. Jesus is saying here, he has so much authority and power over the devil. Even, even people who have been disabled and been influenced by the devil. He can heal them on any day of the week. Last point we see here, number seven on your handout. God didn't create evil. God did not create evil. But he did know we'd rebel against him. We looked up this Bible verse. Everything God made in Genesis 1.31, God said after the sixth day, everything was good. Man was created on the sixth day. Sixth day was God's busiest day. And everything was good. Seventh day, he rested. But what we see here is say, Daniel, where did evil come from? Evil came. I want y'all, don't miss this. Here's the theological point. This is our Sunday night message here for this. Say, Daniel, where did this evil come from? Evil came from this tree that was put in the garden the tree of the knowledge of good and evil we read those verses earlier in chapter 2 verse 9 in verse 17 we looked at this this that tree is where evil came from god gave this option for us to choose this is what free will is god had one command he placed this tree so you can do anything you want but you do not eat from this tree so when they ate from it they chose to disobey God. Listen, if God did not put that tree there, there would have been no opportunity for us to sin. By the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in Genesis chapter 2 that was placed in the garden, that allowed the possibility for us to sin. So did God create the evil? No. He did allow the possibility for Adam and Eve to disobey him. He didn't create it. There's a difference. He allowed the possibility to happen. Why did he do that? He did it because he, he wants us. We choose to love God. If God didn't create that one tree in that garden, then we would not have the ability, by default, we would automatically love God. But the tree had one command in the garden. Why do we have commands? 
Why do we have the law in the Old Testament? Why does God tell us what to do throughout the Scriptures? He's telling us through this Word, through these commands, we choose to obey God by obeying and honoring His Word. When we make every decision we make, we're choosing whether we're going to follow or we're not going to follow the Lord. That's, that's what happens. So when we sin, when we do evil things, we're telling, saying, God... I'm not going to do what you want me to do. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to sin against you. God knew we would rebel against him. So why do bad things happen? Bad things happen because God allowed in the Garden of Eden the possibility of evil, of an evil decision. And the results of that decision just have trickled down all the way to today. We live as a result of a fallen, sinful world. And this is why we cling to Jesus Christ even more. We run to the gospel and say, Lord, without this, I have no hope. I'm hopeless without the gospel. I'm hopeless without Jesus Christ. So when we're answering the question, bad things, disappointments, setbacks, these things ultimately should drive us to prayer. It should drive us to the Lord. It should remind us that until we get to heaven, things are not going to be perfect. You, you have to, you know, I think about last weekend I was at a wedding. Last son, you know, when a bride or a groom get married, everything is perfect. Everything is through rose-colored glasses. They're going to make millions of dollars. They're going to have great jobs. Everyone's going to be their friend. Their children are going to be perfect and beautiful. They're going to have a nice home, nice car, debt-free living. I mean, that is the picture that's painted at every single wedding you've ever been to. And you probably are still, some of you might still be paying for some of those weddings. And you're there, and you have this perfect picture. And you fast forward a year or two later, not a, year, a month later, and reality sets in. That's literally what, that is life. That is, that is what happens. Bad things are going to happen. Disappointments. People who you are friends with at church, who you are friends with at this church, will disappoint you. Any person you put up on a pedestal is guaranteed to fall. We are reminded, church, we're reminded only Jesus is the one who can sit on a pedestal. Only he's the one we can look up to and say, Lord, you're perfect. We are guaranteed suffering, disasters. We're guaranteed evil is going to be all around us. We're guaranteed Satan's even sin. Satan had this woman who was disabled for 18 years. It's going to be setback after setback. And the whole purpose of this night message is for us to realize Lord, through all these things, why these bad things happen, it drives me to the cross. It helps me appreciate how much, how sinful I am and how much more I need the Lord. Tonight, I want you to realize, I plead with you, I think what we see from these verses, Christ is saying, you need Jesus. You need him more than anyone else. And if you need them, the great thing about the gospel is that it shouldn't, we don't keep silent. We go out and tell other people about it. That's a message that proclaimed to others. Lord, we thank you for your word. I pray tonight as we have our invitation.
We never forget the power of the gospel and the good news. God, I pray that there's someone here that needs to make a decision. Maybe they need to get saved tonight. The Bible calls out in verse 5, I tell you, unless you repent, you will all perish. Lord, that's a message for us. The time is now. There's no more waiting. God, I pray that we as a church, through everything we do, from Awana, from youth group, downstairs, to upstairs, we are boldly proclaiming your good news. Lord, give us a passion like Peter and John had in Acts chapter 4, that we cannot be silent. We're proud to be believers, and we boldly proclaim it. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing in our church. We give you this invitation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. David Dale's going to lead us in our song. We sing, we close every single service with an invitation. I stand down front. If you want to make a decision to follow Christ, I'll be standing down front waiting for you to respond. Let's stand together and we're going to sing. We'll sing together, I have decided to follow Jesus. 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 No turning back, no turning. Though none go with me, I still will follow. Though none go with me, I still will follow. Though none go with me, I still will follow. No turning back, no turning back. Thank you, Thank you so much for that. I want to remind everybody, Wednesday night, I want to invite you to Bible study. We are going through Solomon's life. We're going to believe, I believe we're in 1 Kings chapter 5. So we're going through that, chapter 6 right there. So we'll be back here at 6.30 on Wednesday night studying Solomon's life. I'm going to ask Dave who will close us with our prayer. Let's sing the chorus to Redeemed. Redeemed, redeemed. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed, redeemed. His child and forever 